welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you, guys. Hi, Tricia. Hi, Dennis. Hi, Daniel. Uh, I'm Harvey Asher, sexaholic, and I've been sexually sober 36 years and eight months, uh, one day at a time, one day at a time. Um, I was kind of laughing to myself this morning. I said, you could really sit down and start preparing for a topic. You really didn't know what the title was till a few days ago. (laughs) Or you could trust, in quotes, God, the system. You know, I'm very careful when I say trust God because my sponsor, one of my sponsors years and years ago gave me a big problem when I said that. She said, no, Harvey, you need to learn to trust your program. She shook me up. And by the way, I want to give you a little background on her. Most of the things you hear me say have been passed to me through a sponsor called Cherry in AA. He's been dead now 30 years at least, 32 years. But I had him for about four or five years before he died. And for whatever it is, I incorporated him. I took him in. And most of the things I say are the things he passed to me. Matter of fact, after he was dead about five years, I sat down And I typed out about 75 things I still remembered he had shared with me, taught me. So when he died, this this vast hole was left. And I kept trying to get sponsors. And, you know, it's like going to a new doctor or whatever. The second one is never quite as good as the first one. And I did a no-no in the program. At that time, I was about 40, 49 years old. I took a woman sponsor. She was about 78 years old at the time, 75. And she, there was no one for me to compare her with. And because 
of cherry and the spots before. And here I had this new experience with the sweetest, gray hair, lovely, clear skin. She was just a beautiful old woman. But man, did she have a wild story. <laughs> and you would never believe this woman with all these years of sobriety could have been a wild maniac like she was. Well, she taught me many things. And as I'm talking, I'm giving you some new freedom, new happiness. She opened doors for me that I couldn't see. New freedoms, new happinesses. See, those words are very cunning. It doesn't say we're going to find happiness, freedom. It says a new freedom and a new happiness. The word new implies there's nothing to compare it to. It's new. It's new. It comes from nowhere. And she taught me new concepts, especially how to talk to a woman. My wife was getting a major surgery. And Mary, my sponsor, said, now tell her you'll always be there for her for this surgery. Say, just say, I'll be there for you, honey. I couldn't say that. That was too corny. I'm a guy. I can't say, honey, I'll be there for you, sweet. <laughs> couldn't do it. And one day, a few days before the surgery, we're at a movie. And my wife is staring into space. And I looked at her. I said, honey, are you worried about your surgery? And she said, yes. And out of my mouth came, Nancy, I'll be there for you. And she started to cry from happiness. You know, Hennick this morning said this brilliant thing for me. There's no end to our new freedoms and new happiness. As every day we hear things we've never heard before. We might have heard them, but we don't hear them. <laughs> and Hennick, when the questions keep com came, coming up for why do you tell a chronic relapse? He said to go to other chronic relapsers who have had, who are now sober. This he said, that's not my experience, strength, and hope. So I can't help you with that part. God, the freedom of honesty to be able to be humble enough to say to your sponsee or someone who's asking you for help, sorry, 
Is it my experience, strength, and hope? Please ask someone else. That's another aspect of a new freedom in Athens. And they asked Henoch, what? Why do you still keep coming back? And I've had my reasons why I keep coming back. But Henoch gave a reason that I've never had words for. He said, if you're going by a lake or a pool and someone's drowning, how can you not go to try to help them? He said, if I stop coming to meetings, how can I continue to help save people's lives? Wow. See, these new freedoms and new happinesses are another form of saying spiritual awakening. Interestingly enough, Sandy Beach talks about from the first step on, we're having spiritual awakenings. The 12th step says having had, meaning we've been getting spiritual awakenings to be able to awaken to the fact that I am without power. You know, the following talk, listening to Gene and getting awakenings from Gene when he was sharing about how could only one person get something out of two people in the program talking together. It's impossible. We both get something. Whenever we're doing service work or helping someone, we're also helping someone. These new freedoms, these new happinesses. And then Malcolm's talk. You know, my God, the stuff I heard today and his awakenings for me to picture things behind me during meditation, the calmness he was able to generate. These are new freedoms and new happiness. We need to remember that word new. Do not compare it with anything. Don't anticipate it because it's new. You know, everything we do, and people get so uncomfortable with me because I'm very blunt with my language about sexual terms. We, the most aggressive sexual people, start being afraid of sexual terms. I mean, it, it loses me. It's like we all have these virgin ears and mouths that never say or think anything. I mean, the absurdity of all this. And as Roy talks about, we share in details, 
He calls it the fungus of the brain, the mind. It grows in dark places. No, not if you're drunk, you don't come to a meeting and share details. We're not talking about that. But especially with your sponsor, where people will call me from around the world, people I hardly, I don't know, and they'll say, oh, I've been lusting and I keep telling people I'm lusting and it, it, it's not going away. I say, well, maybe because you're not telling them anything. What the heck does the word lusting mean? What does that mean? What are you thinking? And then they'll say, oh, it's a sexual thing. And I'll say, what are you talking about? Sexual thing. Until they tell me actually what it is, then they have a chance for freedom to get it out of their head. And if it's too uncomfortable for me, first of all, when they, I do this, I always say, God, please let me hear this with your hearing. And if it's a little too much for me, I put the phone aside. But they get a chance to get it out. I learned that trick talking to my mother over the years. She'd go on and on and I'd be going nuts. All I had to do is take the phone like this. And then whenever she got took a breath, I changed the subject. <laughs> Don't tell anyone that my trick, you know. <laughs> May she rest in peace. <laughs> uh, and so I learned from this sponsor, new concepts, new ideas. I learned from Malcolm, from Jean, and from Hennick. I learned from Daniel and Dennis. Do you know the amount of service work these two people have done? And Daniel, I just, either he is so fantastically wealthy that he never has to work. <laughs> and then I'm going to get envious and jealous. <laughs> but he is the wizard of Oz. He is the wizard behind this big curtain. He's running the whole stuff. Unbelievable service work. Daniel does. And when I see it, it gives me this awakening of how powerful this power is that's greater than ourselves, that let us dedicate our lives to this program. We dedicate our lives. This, if this is not the primary thing in my life, I have no chance to keep other primary things in my life. No way. If I ever put my wife before my program, or my children before my program, or my God before my program, or my religion before my program, I'll lose so much of that if I'm drunk. And again, Hennick shared that in that question, 
about religion versus the program or the program and religion. That if we're drunk, how can we <laughs> do our religion? <laughs> we could fake it, but we're not doing it. Yes, I wasn't at religious services. I was just sitting there, but I was in my fantasy world or attracted to someone in the congregation. So this new freedom and new happiness is a strange thing because what we do, and I'll get back to where I came from, the words we don't like to use. What we're really doing is comparing everything to an orgasm. To the excitement, to the pre-orgasm. We have been sexual addicts so long since we were kids that everything gets contorted into the pre-sensation and the sensation. And then the brain does this trick. It lets us forget what happens after the orgasm. The down, the shame, the beating ourselves up, the money it cost us, the time it cost us. In AA, we call it euphoric recall. The disease keeps us in euphoric recall. So to get a new freedom and a new happiness means we are beginning to compare things no longer to only an orgasm to a physiological response that is so significant or else the world would not have a population. That's done throughout the animal kingdom to perpetuate God's creations. A holy, holy moment that when you're a sex addict, gets totally distorted. A moment in time when we are truly connected to God because it created in its image, this it's at that very moment we, like God, could create life. And yet, when you're a sex addict, it gets distorted, not out of our badness, because we're not bad getting good. We've done bad things, but we're not bad. What we do is not who we are. And Malcolm again presents that so beautifully. We're not our thoughts. Our thoughts aren't real. They're chemicals. They're a river flowing by. So our, it promises, the promises in the book 
are telling us there's something so wonderful, but you've never experienced it before. And how do you know that? Sounds like a damn fairy tale. Well, Malcolm shared a bit of it. You, you meet people who have experienced it for moments. I have experienced moments that cannot be put into words. Cannot be put into words. It can't be communicated verbally. Just like I was sharing yesterday at a talk I was giving, that what makes a symphony, not the notes, if you just have notes, that's cacophony or whatever the word, cacophony or whatever that word is, just noise. You have to have space between the notes. It's the note and the space, the note and the space that produces that beautiful music. Well, you can't tell someone about your awakening. And I remember one of those awakenings that happened to me maybe tw 25 years ago, maybe 30 years ago. And I've told this story before. I was crossing a bridge in, in Nashville running up, we did a lot of running back then. And I was on the phone with one of my sponsees and he was a son of a Baptist minister, a minister. And he calls me and he's so excited. He said, Harvey, I'm so excited. I finally found the God of my understanding. And out of my mouth came the words. Now you know how angry you are at your father. You know how angry you are. And you're angry at everything he's done. Be sure you don't exclude for you one of those aspects that Jesus is your higher power. Well, I get off the phone, I said, what the hell's a Jew telling this Christian guy not to exclude that higher power? And then I realized how my Catholic sponsor got me to go back to synagogue. And I said, oh, my God, on that bridge at that moment, I said, my God. God is bigger than religion. Oh, I can't tell you what happened at that moment to me. I felt so small in this magnificent way that the universe being so large and I'm so small. How God is using us as vessels, a Catholic helping a Jew become a better Jew, and a Jew trying to help a Christian be a better Christian. It was bigger 
than anything I had ever experienced. So big, I haven't forgotten the experience. Time and again, over the years, you get these experiences that are these spiritual awakenings, but you cannot, once you've tasted the best apple in the world, an orgasm, you can never find another apple like that. So you've got to never go near that kind of apple. <laughs> and you get pears and peaches and plums and mangoes, <laughs> apricots and grapes and strawberries. <laughs> There's a whole world of other wonderful fruit that are beyond wonderment, but don't compare it to that apple because a peach is not an apple. Don't confuse it. It's a new freedom and a new happiness to be able to begin to appreciate this, this strawberry. You know, I have a picture um, I found of a man who fell off a cliff and he was hanging on to a log, to a branch. And down below the branch was this, all these, just a cliff, I mean, such a big cliff. So if he would have dropped off, he would have been crushed to death. But if he went up, there was a big tiger there waiting to eat him. And all of a sudden, he saw a strawberry on the branch, a vine. And he said, wow, this is the best strawberry I've ever eaten. new freedom and new happiness. He wasn't involved in the tiger. He wasn't involved in being crushed. He enjoyed that moment of eating that strawberry that was so delicious. That's the new freedom and new happiness. Learning the beauty, the taste, the wonderment, of this moment. The breath. People call, they want all this complicated answers. When the best answer you could have is just breathe in and breathe out. And then what happens if people get so angry at me when I tell them this? I say, stop asking me questions. Because once you answer one, they say, oh, I have one more question, just one more. I said, stop asking questions. You already know the answer. 
you're asking the question to block hearing anything, including your own inner self. You wouldn't be asking the question if you didn't already know the answer. Why do people come and ask you a question? My sponsor taught me this very important lesson when someone calls me and I don't know them and I'm not sponsoring them. Before they get to ask the question, I say, have you asked your sponsor the question you're going to ask me? And if they say yes, then I'm to say, have you done what your sponsor said? And if they say no, I tell them that I suggest you do it. And if they say, um, no, I, you know, haven't done it, I tell them to do it. And if they say yes, then I'll maybe try to answer the question. But what really happens is the sponsee asks the sponsor, but doesn't like the sponsor's answer. So he goes and shops for the answer he wants. Now, if I give him the answer, then he and his sponsor, who he didn't ask the question, don't get that intimacy of knowing each other better. And people shop around because they don't want to know the answer they already know. Is this allowable? Is this not? <laughs> Man, if you're not sure and you get uncomfortable, and you say it doesn't feel right, and then you keep doing it, and you keep saying it doesn't feel right. I've had that happen to me. Especially in my marital bed. Then I have to put things on my bottom line or be willing to. What Roy calls progressive victory over lust and what he also calls in the crucible of our experience. These are not shame issues. These are experience issues. A lot of people have never bothered looking up the word crucible. It's just words. The crucible of my experience. Well, a cruci it's a very significant word. A crucible is a little porcelain dish that chemists use. And in high school, you do it in your chemistry class or in university. It's a little dish and you put it on this platform with a burner that has a flame that heats this crucible, that heats this little porcelain dish. And in this dish, you take one chemical and then you take a different chemical and it makes a new product, a new product, a new freedom, a new happiness, 
It's totally different from the chemicals you put in. It makes a new product. That's the crucible of our experience. By the way, prior to a new freedom and new happiness in our 12 promises, it has a very special word it starts out with. If we are painstaking, have you ever thought of that word? Painstaking. It means taking with pain. We don't grow from happiness. <laughs> oh, I'm happy. I'm going to stop doing that. No. <laughs> we grow from pain. We put our hands on the flame enough times. We say, hey, maybe I need help so I don't put my hand on that hot stove again. Because I can't stop it myself if we are painstaking. And by the way, it comes in the ninth step. Why didn't it come in the twelfth step? comes in the ninth step because you've been having all these awakenings since your first step. Regretfully, most people come in, don't get the awakening in the first step. They never get the awakening. What is this awakening <laughs> that people don't get? that they have a disease that is incurable. If you're really a sex addict, it will never go away. It gets latent, just like any allergy or blood pressure or diabetes when you take the right medicine. It's latent, it's there but not bothering you. But people cannot get that awakening that they are without power. They cannot do this alone. And that God's not going to do it for them. Wow. How can someone say something so uh, God's not going to do it for them? When we keep talking about what God does? No, the promises says God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So what does God do for us that we could not do for ourselves? He brings us to the program. But don't expect him to keep your hand away from your genitals. No, you need a telephone to call someone. You need what Jess talks about over and over again. And his talks, you know, he's been dead many years now. But he was the guy, he and Roy, he came in the year after Roy and Jess 
just called it he needed a God with skin. Okay, I got lost somewhere. Maybe okay. God got pissed what it said and he made my screen go black. Shouldn't talk that way, Harvey. I'm going to get Is you. Is it back? Follow my voice <laughs> well, with your mouth. If, <laughs> if God that, the most loving, loving being, how the hell could I still be here at 81? <laughs> you name it, I've done it <laughs> at least three times. You know, we talk about a new freedom and a new happiness, a new freedom and a new happiness was for me to see that God and love are one word. One word. And as I shared yesterday, my new freedom and new happiness was to let go of all this programming that I'll die with. You can't get rid of the program. It's cellular. That God's sitting on a throne with a white gown and big white beard. He has this big book and all day long he's writing all these when you screw up and when you do good deeds and it's somewhere in the sky. And if it doesn't work out, there's somewhere down deep called hell where you go to. Well, I've been to hell. I've been to places with red lights and orgies and stuff and smells awful. And I've said during my disease, I'm in hell right now and I could not get out. And I came to a program that took me out of it. that helped me see that this kingdom is within me. That God is not a dualistic enterprise. He's there, it's there, and I'm here. No, that it's not dualism, it's non-duality. It's that I am God 
are connected. And we talk about improving our spiritual connection. Well, it's already there, but my ego is blocking it. I used to describe it as this pot of gold, glowing gold inside me, just gorgeous, wonderful gold shining, but it was covered with shit, smelly crap, my character defects. And by working the steps, by utilizing the steps, bit by bit, the crap, the sixth and seventh step, it begins to get removed, the eighth and ninth step, it begins to get removed. And the more crap that's been removed, the more the glow is coming out. But the glow is always there. It was just covered up. We are such a good group of people in this recovery program. And SA, man, we're into service. Many of us were in helping professions, many were in the or in the clergy. We're very good people, but we happen to be born with a, a disease that made us do things that we were powerless over. Well, how can anybody talk? How many minutes? Fifty, almost. 40 minutes or so on two words, four words. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> I'm going to stop and answer some questions. Is that okay, guys? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Oops. Uh, there it is. There it is. Thank you. Didn't know what happened there. Thanks, Dennis. Um, yeah, and, and before when you were speaking, the words came into me that I just wanted to say to you, I love you, and and, and it was it was from the heart. And then I realized that this isn't something that uh, that that's natural for me. I'm a, I'm a love cripple, and I'm I'm so blessed that I've had sponsorship from people like Heder and David Maynard that tell me every single time I speak to them, I love you, and that's the line that we're in, uh, and I have, and I'm so grateful. And you're a part of that, so thank you. Um, so we do have a few questions that came in to bring you on to a few different tangents. Um, hello, Harvey, thank you for being here. I see that this talk is called A New Freedom and A New Happiness. I'm fairly new to the program, and I found that I'm terrified of being free. Whenever I feel close to real joy, my knee-jerk reaction is to sabotage myself by acting out. What advice do you have for someone in my shoes? I think many of us relate to that. Wonderful question, because of the wording, especially, my need to act out. No, you don't have a need. You are powerless. You have to act out. You're without power. See, those are still the religious concepts creeping in, the program of society government, <laughs> family, religion, willpower, 
says, I want to do it, or I don't want to do it. No, we are powerless. When you truly accept the powerlessness, that there is nothing you could do on your own to stop it, then the new freedom, new happiness automatically comes. Now, I want to talk about happiness. What is happiness? I'm going to surprise you. Happiness is the absence of being unhappy. We're expecting an entity called happiness. What is that entity? We're comparing it to when we're unhappy. (laughs) But happiness is the underpinning serenity. It's inner peace. My sponsor would call it comfort. So if your aim is to stop sexually acting out, it's going to be much more difficult than if your aim is for inner comfort. Inner comfort means I I need help from my various addictions. to utilize the steps. My sponsor would not let me use the word, work the steps. He said, work is a difficult word, hard work for work. We utilize the steps. And in the process, we get less uncomfortable. Why? We learn what Malcolm was telling us, not to listen to our head. When do we get uncomfortable? When we're thinking. If we weren't thinking, we would get uncomfortable. So the more meditative, the more intuitive, the less thinking. As my sponsor would say, no matter how good the thought begins, it usually always ends in a negative. And one day, follow your thinking. You'll see how accurate that is. Don't think, don't drink, and go to meetings. Is that going to make you a robot? Are you going to be a brain-wiped-out nothing? Well, if you are, I'm in big trouble because most of the day I'm trying to let go of thinking. And that's why I don't prepare these talks. I do not prepare my talks. This means I'd have to think. All I could do is ask God to talk for me or give the day to God in my beginning of the day. 
and see what comes out that bypasses my mind. New freedoms and new happiness. All my thinking was backwards. I thought my family were my enemies and my sex partners were my friends. Everything was screwed up. My sponsor would say to me, what was black will become white and what was white will become black. And he'd just say to me, Harvey, whatever you're thinking, do the opposite and statistically you'll come out better. Next question. Thank you, Harvey. Uh, what's the point of laughter in SA? <laughs> poor me, poor me, poor me another drink. Okay? And for those whose English is not their primary language, it's a play on words. Poor me is feeling sorry for yourself, P-O-O-R. Pour me another drink is P-O-U-R, to give a drink. You stay in a pity party, you're going to get drunk. If you're not in pity, which means you're in gratitude, you're going to laugh a whole lot. Wake up before I leave my bedroom, get out of bed basically. I've done 30 gratitude lists. I've done gratitude throughout the day. Because my normal brain just wants to tear everything apart and go into fear and see everything's negative. I could wake up every morning, Harvey, you're 81, you're going to drop dead real soon. How much longer can you live? Or I could say, wow, God, thank you for another day. I'm alive another day. Thank you, God. Next. Did that answer that question? I think it did. Laughter is a byproduct of not being in self-pity. Mm -hmm. Chapter five in the AA book. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that is the root of our problem. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, and self-pity, we step on the toes of others and they retaliate. I have dyslexia, so that's one of the only things I've ever memorized, I think, other than the third step prayer, a few other things. God, I just, laughter is, this is so cool. The more I laugh, the more I can sincerely cry too. I could feel sad at things. I could feel joyous at things. I'm getting less shut down. Which is a really nice lead into the next topic, which is Trisha's going to be speaking about healing shame. And uh, laughter is a big part of that, I'm sure. I mean, 
well, we're going to hear it from Trisha anyway. So, um, the next question is, what has helped you the most to keep your sobriety? What never been asked that question. It's like asking me what helps me the most to drink water and eat three times a day. No, it's my life. So the program is my life. My sponsor described it as the three legs of a survivor, a surveyor's tripod. You could take it anywhere on mountains, on flatlands, three legs. Those three legs keep this up no matter where you are. And he said, that's our program. There are three legs to the tripod. There's the one leg is God of my understanding. One leg is the steps. And one leg is the fellowship, which is composed of meetings and sponsorship. He said, if you let any one of those legs go down, the whole thing falls over. Many people, and the question to Henick had that aspect to it. They get better and they let go of one of the legs. They think church or synagogue and God is going to do it, and maybe some of the steps. They let go of the fellowship. Other people will do the fellowship in God and not do steps. The legs get short. Even one leg, it pops open. Over. My sponsor would say, don't get too good before you get too well. Because people tend to get better and run right back to church. Not that you ever have to leave church or synagogue, but they run back to it, they think, and drop the program, and they make all these excuses. My minister thinks this is not a Christian program. It doesn't say Jesus in the steps. Or the rabbi says, you better be careful. Those Christians will try to convert you. Okay? But what's behind all that? The addiction. It's giving you an excuse to stop the program because what your minister and your rabbi or your imam said about stopping the masturbation or the pornography, you never listened to them then. <laughs> but you'll listen if they say stop going to those meetings. They're in churches or they're in mosques or they're synagogues. You better watch out. You never listen to these clergy. All of a sudden, you sober up, you start listening to them. Same thing about your wives. You were lying to your wives or husbands for years and years. 
You never listen if they said it. Stop watching pornography or they caught you masturbating. You never listen. You sober up. And whatever they say, you shiver and shake. Oh, my wife thinks I've got too many meetings. My wife thinks this. My wife thinks that. Too many meetings. You never listened to your wife before. How come all of a sudden you're getting frightened? All addiction, using your brain to lie to you through rationalization, rationalize a rational lie. All to get us out of the program. If church and synagogue and a mosque could help you, great. Many people get help from it. But those of us here are addicts. And I sure would go to a doctor emergency room if you have chest pain and not go to your minister, rabbi, or iman to ask Oh, I'm having chest pain. Do you think I'm not praying strong enough? People don't like to hear what I say. A lot of times comes a I love growth, but it's based on my experience, strength, and hope. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.